the teachers that are using the stuff every day with these students, there is an impact. And the students are feeling more confident. They're understanding the stuff more. And it's just like human nature. If you are good at something, you pursue it. If you're bad at something, you're going to stay away from it. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I'm your host and chief goddess of the PASS Foundation, Annalise Corbin. We know the current model for education is obsolete. It was designed to create fleets of assembly line workers, not the thinkers and problem solvers needed today. We've seen the innovations that are possible within education, and it's our goal to leave the box behind and reimagine what education can look like in your own backyard. Welcome to today's episode of Learning in Box. As always, I am excited to talk with another great innovator in the transformative education space. And joining us today is Megan Narain, um, who is the co-founder at Culturally Relevant Science. So Megan, welcome to Learning in Box. Thank you for having me, Annalise. Absolutely. Very excited to have you. And so let's set a little bit of context for our listeners as we get started. So Culturally Relevant Science is a nonprofit organization that's dedicated to making STEM education more representative of underrepresented populations. <laughs> and they started as a YouTube channel during COVID. I love the, the backstory here. Uh, making animated videos that engage Black and Brown students. And those animated classes are led by black male teachers um, and its students um, are each members of underrepresented groups. And the videos combine rigorous standards-based learning with pop culture and entertainment. And you have really, really expanded um, <laughs> since you started all of this. And I know those are the pieces we're going to dig into here in um, just a minute. So Megan, it's going to seem, I think for most folks, Relatively obvious, but not always the case, I find, when you start having these conversations. So during COVID, you really started this initiative. Um, and, you know, anytime folks start these kinds of things, they're a really big deal. It's a lot of work. So I always want to start with the sort of the, the why. So why did you feel like this effort and this opportunity are really so, so important? Yes. Yeah, so um, me and my co-founder were colleagues at a high school down here in um, South Atlanta. And this was when COVID started. Um, and our, our school was predominantly black and brown student populations, predominantly um, economically disadvantaged. And we were forced to go completely virtual. So everything had to be taught on a computer. Um, so when at that time, when we were trying to show YouTube videos to those same students that it just said the demographic of, there was no videos that were engaging and fun, but just as rigorous that we could show them that we knew would entertain them um, because we have no control right now with them in the classrooms. So they're at home. How can we find the most engaging video to show them to make sure they actually watch it and learn during this time? And so we decided to start making the videos. Um, he started just picking up animation on his own, um, started just, playing around with it. And I was like, I think we have something here. And then we, we started doing live action ones where I was in my kitchen during lockdown doing experiments and recording it. And he was, he was doing uh, physics experiments with his dog in his backyard and recording it. I remember my first like tripod was my iPhone on a bar stool with some books holding it up at the back of it. Um, and this was when we saw exactly like 
um, how much the kids enjoyed it and how much they actually liked watching a video with someone that they could relate to and that they knew. Um, and so we decided to take that video making and scale it. Uh, we just raised money to buy recording equipment so I didn't have to use my bar stool anymore. We bought him more, like better software for him to animate faster and higher quality. And we saw the views on YouTube just skyrocketing with no marketing. Um, our lab safety video that we made intentionally for every science teacher in the world to use every year for every class because it's so general, took off and got over like 30,000 views on its own. Um, and we, we were just a channel with less than a thousand subscribers. And we were like, how did this video get so far? And people in China was commenting on it. People in, in all these different states and countries were commenting on it. And that's when we really realized that we had to find a way to um, make this something that became normalized because clearly people want it. Clearly people love it. And there's nothing on YouTube like it. Right. Um, so. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, I've had folks um, on at the past foundation staff, we were we were all playing along, taking a look at all the different things that were going on there. And it's really, really impressive. And I guess it sort of gets to one of the other sort of elements that I, I kind of want to dig in. There's there's a clear need and necessity, A, for high quality and engaging um videos or opportunities to show to students. But more importantly, there is um, a desperate need to make sure that the materials that are being created and putting out there that we have an expectation for students to consume and actually learn from are also culturally relevant. And that's a big piece of the work that you're doing. So talk to us a little bit about the not the why, we get the why, but the just the the thinking about how you approach both that piece and then the decision-making around what you create and when. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that comes from our years of teaching. So he, my co-founder, Tamir Mickens, he's the animator. He's taught for 11 plus years. I'm going into my eighth year. And we just, from the conversations we have with our students in the classroom, from the discourse, we put that and infuse that into the video. So not only are the students black and brown? Not only is the teacher a black male, but the dialect the students use, what they dress, the trends that they like right now, right? Like the obsession with TikTok. We reference TikTok all the time in our videos. How they just eat hot fries for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, right? We we re reference that. Um, like Cardi B references, just little baby, young boy, stuff that we hear in the classroom that they enjoy. We find a way to sit down and be like, okay, how can we incorporate it? How can we infuse it? How can we tie it to the learning standards, right? Because we are instructional teachers. We don't want to make videos that are just fun and engaging, like right, you said. Right. We want to make mm -hmm. sure the students are learning from it. So not only are they having a good time, but they can go get assessed on it and actually know the science concept behind it. Um, and that process for us just looks like um, him writing the script and just having full trust in his script because He's, all the comedy, all the jokes comes from him. He writes the script, he <laughs> animates, he does a couple of the voices too. But as we started adding more diverse characters, we wanted the identity of the person behind the voice to match the identity of the character in the video. So, for instance, we added a Venezuelan male to our video. He asked his Venezuelan friend to do the voice uh -huh. for that. Um, so That's that perfect. intentionality is important to us too, is not only if on face do we have the representation, representation, but the behind, we also have that representation. 
and he'll 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 do the script. I'll just like message him like, hey, remember, kids always talked about this. We should put that in there. Kids always talked about this. We should put that in there. And it's just the product that he turns out is just it's so aligned to the learning standards which schools look for, and it's so relevant to the student populations sitting in the room. Right. Right. And so as you both start to sort of see this take off, I'm super curious. I would imagine that in the COVID space, while we're all still in lockdown, building administrators are like, anything you have to do, right, to get to kids and to get them to learn. But now we're post-COVID. And so, I mean, my hope is that your 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 administrators still think this is the coolest thing because it's working really well and your students specifically are responding well to it. But what's the sort of leadership sort of feedback or the culture, if you will, as it relates to sort of accepting this? Because the other thing, and I'll, I'll kind of get to my point in a sec, but, you know, because sometimes when we see really creative things like this that educators are doing, sometimes it can turn on us, right? Because we can have other teachers that are like, well, I don't have time to do that. I don't have the skill to do that. It's not fair. And then you, you sort of get to these weird dichotomies that can happen sometimes, or sometimes leadership is not um, supportive or responsive of the things that we're doing, or sometimes they really are. And so I guess, you know, I know the listeners are going to be super curious because they're sitting there and they're thinking, well, if I did that, what would happen in my school, right? So how's that, how's that sort of all played out? I'm super curious about in your ecosystem? Yeah, that's actually a really good question. So once we saw that the videos were gaining attention, um, we, we did we did a customer discovery conversation with a bunch of Atlanta school leaders and we asked them, what would it look like for you to use us in your school? And mm-hmm. they said, we want everything. We want an entire course, start to finish, what the teacher can use from day one to 180, all the resources, not just videos. So okay, me and my co me and my co-founder looked at each other and we were like, well, I mean, we've been <laughs> teaching for over seven, eight, 10, 11 years. We have that stuff. Everything we not only the videos, but we have every every slideshow we've made, every worksheet we've made, we've tailored to be culturally relevant. For instance, if we do a case study, it's gonna include people like Henrietta Lacks, the black woman whose cells were used to make HeLa cells, or it's gonna include a sickle cell investigation about why so many African-Americans have sickle cell in the U.S. Um, and it was just it was like something that we were like, OK, so you're telling me we could uh, we could put everything we made in the classroom into a complete package and then give it to the schools. If they want everything from the start to the finish, they will get everything from the start to the finish. So that question right there is really important to us because that's our next stage. Now that we know what the schools want. We have to shift our focus from, yes, we'll continue making the videos, but we will also make everything for that teacher that you said that says, oh, my gosh, I don't have the time to do this. Or, oh, my gosh, I'm not doing all of that. Well, here you go. Here is it all laid out on the platter. Right. Here's the easiest possible way that you can implement this. I'm giving you everything. Now let's try to use it. And teachers are more prone to doing that because we all know how underpaid teachers are. We all know how overworked they are for time they spend creating lessons. We can do that for them and take all of that, all that time back from them so that they can be happier and live a more like a better, like work balanced life. Then I think teachers will be more prone to using it. How do you find the time to do that? So you go, you have this conversation. I guess this gets back to, are you still both teaching an absolute full high school load? Or do you have, are you, are you able to do this on on your work time? 
Yes. Yeah, so um, <laughs> it's it's really it's such a complex question because yes, my job allows me to do both. So right now I'm no longer in the classroom. I'm actually an instructional coach, um, which basically leads instructional instructional strategies for uh, science teachers. So at the high school I'm at, I have like 13 science teachers that I help uh, maximize student engagement and achievement with. Um, and that's where I get to really pilot courses and try stuff out and have them use it. And of course you ask them, but if everything is made for them, right, they're more likely to use it. So that's where I do that. And then um, I get to do a lot of double dipping. So I'm, I'll make the resources on my free time and then I get to use them at the job that I have, which is a very lucky position to be as an entrepreneur. Um, Cause you hear a lot about like corporate people starting businesses and immediately quitting their job because the business is scaling so much and they need the time. And for me, I love the job. The job also helps me uh, scale the business and, and test things. And um, But of course, when you start a business, you're still working a lot of overtime too. So I do spend a lot of time outside of the actual work hours working on this, but that's because it's, it's something that I, I really want to be normalized in the world. And I really want just more underrepresented kids feeling more confident about learning science, doing science and pursuing science. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> the, the world needs more of that. So that that's fabulous. So then the resource then that's being created, I just want to be really clear because I can imagine folks listening that are, that are wondering this very thing. So the YouTube channel and the videos, those are fully available and accessible to anybody in the world? Yes. Yeah. At no cost. At no cost. Um, and we plan to keep it that way. Once, once, like, we, ha- we also have a free supplemental learning hub on our website. So if you go to www.crsci.org, there's, you'll see a tab that says learning hub. And we have courses from environmental to chemistry to physics to biology. And we do put some supplemental stuff on there. It's not going to be a whole lesson. Um, and then eventually, once we develop these courses, we'll still have a supplemental learning hub that's free. Our videos will still be on YouTube for free, but it's the courses that we plan to sell to the schools to give them everything they would need uh, from day one to 180 to teach that course. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. And it was my, the assumption that I was like, <laughs> okay, surely there's got to be this element in there somewhere because it only makes sense. And I think that's fair. So let's dig in a little bit about the student experience. So, you know, the fact that the students are going through or experiencing this program, and I assume that the the catalyst to continue to do this is because it's working, right? And, you know, you mentioned that this is all um, standard aligned. And so what what sort of feedback are you getting from the students themselves? Yeah, and this is my favorite type of um, data to get back. Everyone's always like, how do you measure it? What are your metrics? And they, they're looking for like quantitative metrics. But for me, it's the teacher and student testimonials that really show me what we're doing is having an impact. Because if you are teaching a ninth grader and they see that this curriculum is completely different from what they're used to, then it's working, right? So for instance, um, we did a testimonial from a ninth grader named Deshaun at the school I'm working with. And he he came up to me in the hallway and he was like, I really like like what you're doing. And this was like unsolicited, like didn't even say, hey, stand up, make this video. I did start recording him because I'm like, oh, my God, this is great content. But I didn't tell him to start it. And he goes, I really love what you're making. Like we didn't have such 
frequent experiments and hands-on activities and such engaging stuff to do and look at in previous years. And it, it hampered us from actually learning it because we couldn't really comprehend it. And like that right there just shows you that the teachers that are using the stuff every day with these students, there is an impact. And the students are feeling more confident. They're understanding the stuff more. And it's just like human nature. If you are good at something, you pursue it. If you're bad at something, you're going to stay away from it. And if these if these kids and these these scholars are constantly being bad at science because the, the content that's creating is not made to fully engage them. And when I say like made to fully engage them, it's not always about incorporating race, right, or ethnicity or, or stuff that people kind of say, hey, right? That's the, like, they, it's not always about that. It's about does it look good to a kid, right? Because age is part of culture. Does it have stuff that they'll understand, like music references and, and movie references and show references because pop culture is part of culture, right? So it's more, it goes beyond, yes, our characters look like our kids, but also our characters are the ages of the kids they're doing this, doing the stuff that the kids do. And you can hear that from the students when you talk to them. You can see that when they laugh at the jokes while they're learning mm -hmm. about photosynthesis and respiration, right? Mm -hmm. Who laughs at yeah. photosynthesis and respiration? I don't know, but you guys have the magic, <laughs> the, the, the magic bullet there if that's happening, because you're right, 100%, right? You know, and part of it is, I think, you know, a lot of what you're talking about is, a fair amount of materials that are out there, they're just not engaging, right? I mean, honest to goodness, they're old school. We talk about it uh, at past all the time. It's like, you know, nobody wants to sit through that, right? And, and and the kids get it. They're like, oh, this has nothing to do with me. Why do I care? Right. right. So they and, check out. Yeah. And, and that's where you get the low test scores. You don't get the low test mm -hmm. scores because the students aren't capable. You don't get the Correct. low test scores because they're not smart. You get them right. because... It's not relatable to them. Mm -hmm. And that is our entire mission. A lot of people ask us, like, because we're making full curriculum, we have mm -hmm. to make everything from scratch. The worksheets, the slideshows, mm -hmm. the tests. Everyone's like, why are you guys reinventing the wheel? There's so much stuff out there. Because the wheel does not work, right? <laughs> the wheel is not working. We have to make everything from scratch. If there's a slideshow, we have to put characters in there that are black, that are brown, that are girls, that are queer, some pride flags in the background of a video. We have to do that because that right there is what's going to engage students on a higher level than what the stuff that's been used, the will that we've been using to get these low test scores is doing. It's not working and it, it's, it's shown in the data. Yeah. So, and I agree a hundred percent with you. Um, and, you know, putting my anthropologist hat on. Um, so, you know, I love the cultural component to it because I, we, we, we recognize, you know, how incredibly valuable it is to, to figure out how to be able to not just connect the material, but connect with the participants as well. And to allow the, the participants to be able to connect with each other. So I love the fact that, you know, there are, there are jokes, if you will, right in, in the materials and that the kids get it. Right. So again, that's proof positive that you've, you've tapped into to something that's actually working. Um, I'm really curious how, how do how do other teachers respond to the material that you're creating? Not the people that are looking to use it, but the other teachers that are engaged in the same environments. Yeah. So the ones that are using it right now or the ones that 
We'll use it the ones that are not, that are, that not are exposed it. to it, right? I'm super curious, right? Because that is one of the interesting things, those dichotomies around the adults. Um, I had a fascinating conversation recently with somebody that was really just talking about, you know, that the students, students are so incredibly capable and so incredibly creative. And yet the structures that we sometimes put them in are the things that really just squash uh, all of that in, in, our, in our learners, right? And oftentimes it's the material that's part of the problem. We already talked about that but sometimes it's the adults in the mm. space as well right and so i'm really curious about sort of that element okay i think i need some more clarity here are we <laughs> like like the science teachers or like well okay we can start like- yeah yeah let's start with the science teachers so are all the science teachers using this or just some of the science teachers and then how 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 what are those conversations like between the folks that are and the folks that aren't i'm super curious about that yeah um so at the school I'm working with right now, the only mm-hmm. course that we're starting with is biology. So, then that's just because in Georgia, the high school science subject that is state tested is biology. Okay. Um, and our so, our so our goal here is to like show increases in the mm-hmm. biology test scores, and then go to other schools and be like, "Hey, it did this to your test scores." Because I don't know if you've ever worked in the school. That's like what they care about is test scores. It is unfortunately, Unfor- unfortunately, right? <laughs> right? Absolutely, yes. So. That being said, the, it's only the biology teachers that are using the curriculum all day, okay. every day from start to finish. So that's about five teachers. And um, I'm relative. I'm new to the school. So okay. I, when I when I met these teachers, I just showed them what I had um, and they love it. Right. Like they're telling me the just the, the simple fact of how the PowerPoints look like they're just so captivating on a, on a kid level, as well as the activities like we do experiments every week and the experiments are of low cost they're affordable because a lot of people for, like often forget that that accessibility piece of a school having all of this fancy equipment right that's part of culture too your socioeconomic status how much you can afford um your wealth so what we try to do as part of um the labs we create is make it um you can go to walmart you can go to kroger you can go anywhere on amazon order all of this stuff for under $10 and do it in your classroom with a class of 30. Um, and, and that's important because some teachers, they get scared of like when you hear experiment, they're like, it's going to be so hard. But no, like I'm going to show you how to do this. So we do a lot of experiments. We do a lot of um, case studies and station works, getting the kids up and moving, getting them to watch the videos um, and and answer questions when they watch the videos and, and just – um, them see them watching even the teachers watching the videos themselves right for the first time you see them laughing and them engaging with it and you and you realize that like teachers really just want good resources if the resources were good teachers want to spend so much time making their own stuff and I'm not here to say that everything we make is the best thing in the world but all I'm saying is if people put more intention and care if these textbook companies and these curriculum platforms had more intention in what they added to their content, then it'd be more likely to use them because we've seen schools purchase platforms for so much money and a teacher using it and be like, mm, it's not it's not that fun. It's not that engaging. It doesn't have, like the names don't relate to the students names in my classroom, the sports and the activities like what is tobogganing? What is skiing? Our students don't know are the students that we worked with. A lot of them don't know that and can't. Applied at the physics, 
And when you think when you think about like, oh my gosh, the word skiing is inhibiting me from understanding physics, it's ridiculous. That is exactly. And I, I, I actually love the way you even phrase that because you're 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 absolutely spot on, right? It just makes no sense. You have to spend any time wrestling with what is this thing. That's not really getting to the learning objective that you had to start with. And the teachers see that and um like they see the little details of oh, like Demonte went to go get a pizza with pepperoni, peppers, and cheese. Is he an omnivore, carnivore, or herbivore? Okay, I've bought a pizza before. Let me really think about what's on a pizza. It's simple things. Like, that's a discussion question that we have in a PowerPoint. So when they see that and they they realize that, uh, honestly, it's good for us, too, because, like I said, we're shifting to course building, and we're building everything, and we're seeing that all this intention and everything that we're making is just even the, like not just the videos is impactful. It's a word, a name that you choose to put in a word problem. It's a picture that you use to show a food chain, right? It's, it's all these little details that could just make them want to look at the PowerPoint even more. And the mm-hmm. teachers, the, the teachers name. really, they love yeah. that. They love the intention. They love the attention to the little details to engage their students and they buy into it and they immediately bought into it. And they're so willing to try everything and do everything. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Um, that's a really big win. Uh, so this is fabulous, and I'm really, really hopeful that you know folks will listen to this, and we will make sure that the the links to the website are in the materials that we put out and everything, because we really do want people to go and take a look at this. My my team has looked at it. We we love it, and so but but out of all fairness. You know, the the journey that you've been on is a lot of work. And but I'm also curious, always want to ask the question around sort of what were some of the pitfalls? I mean, I'm I'm sure it hasn't all been really sure. great, smooth sailing, right? And we want to keep this real, you know, because it was it is a journey. Um so so what are some of the things that you've kind of learned along the way, just you know, sort of passing on to others who are sort of thinking about the same issues, whether you know, most folks are not gonna go out and create content, but I think or one of the things that I'm hoping that folks glean from the conversation with you is that we can all be more intentional in the way we interact with our students and the way we present any material um, in our classrooms. We can, in fact, all do that. And so I'm super curious for folks who who are going to make that shift. You know, they're in subjects, not science. So, they, the, so the, the videos and the materials you're created aren't really w- working for them, though they don't help in their subject matter. But they could still do many of the things that you do, maybe not to the same level. So what would you tell folks about that? Yeah, um... I think this is a two-part question, but I'm going to acknowledge that, yes, like our goal is not to be this like big multi-billion dollar business that we are the only curriculum being used in schools for science. Our goal is to show people that it's not that hard to be intentional with creating curriculum, right? It's not that hard to change a name. It's not that hard to change a picture. It's not that hard to make something a little more affordable, right? It's not... It's not hard to do it. And we want to normalize cultural relevance. We want to really just be a science platform, right? We don't necessarily want our name to be culturally relevant just just, just as that. Like we want to eventually say, hey, nah, this is the curriculum you are using because it's science. And it's science not because we're bringing in race or ethnicities or age. It's science because it's for kids. It's fun stuff. And it's, it's, it's just more, it gives you more, more uh, success, 
right? And we want to show teachers who, like you said, can't use the videos because they're not a science teacher. Well, you can still find stories of people that have been left out of history, right? If you're writing an essay in the ELA, that you can use names of the people, of, of the names in your classroom, right? If you're doing math, if you're doing math, just work, lots of word problems there, right? Change the sport to football, to basketball, to baseball, whatever sport your kids play or are used to, change it, right? And build those skills because cultural relevance is a practice. It's a practice and it's a, it's a toolbox of strategies to get higher engagement, which will then lead to higher achievement, which will then lead to them pursuing more of whatever you're teaching. So I love that you say that. I don't, I don't want it to seem like we want, like, hey, our curriculum is the best of all. No, but we want to show you, like, this is what it looks like when you are intentional. This is what it looks like when you do reinvent the wheel, right? Make stuff on your own. Teachers are content mm-hmm. creators. All, all the teachers I know oh, create content. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. They all create it and they're all curriculum developers and they don't view themselves as that. And I want them to, to stop not viewing themselves as that. Right. Because you do that. Every uh, it, Teachers are content creators and they have the ability and the power <clears throat> to make their content closely relevant to their students, no matter where they are, what background, mm-hmm. anywhere. Um, and then back to your hardships question. The process has been difficult. Simply just kind of figuring out what it is we wanted to do with the organization, I think was the hardest part because we had the videos, but then we found out schools wouldn't really just use the videos, right? So we had to pivot and we had to figure out how we could really get into schools because even though the videos are the, the coolest part, the cutest part, the funniest part, it's still curriculum is what's needed, what's sought. Um, so I think the hardest part was to really sit down and figure out that next stage. But I want to give advice to people who are in the next stage of anything that they're not really sure about is the networking and the mentorship and the, and the fellowship and the coaching that I've intentionally put myself into. Like I apply for fellowships. I apply for grants. I apply for all these things where I can get someone else to talk to, right? Because the biggest help is finding someone to talk to who knows a little bit more than what you're about to embark on. And that has been the biggest saving grace for me. Legal stuff, I don't know none of that, but I put myself into a legal boot camp, right? Uh, accounting, don't know none of that, but I put myself into a fellowship about accounting. Um, and and that that's just the, it's hard to manage because I have a job and I have a life, right? <laughs> um, but it, I see it as it's all is going to pay off in the long run because at the end of the day, I'm, I will always be someone that's fighting for equity in STEM. And I will always believe that it starts in classrooms. Yeah. Well, and you're also a uh, clearly a lifelong learner <laughs> because you are willing to learn new things yourself. So that's pretty powerful too. Megan, thank you so very much for taking time. At the end of a very busy day, you've been <laughs> teaching all day long um, to uh, take time to share to share your work, um, the journey that you've been on and the incredible opportunities that you are providing for students. So thank you, thank you, thank you for the work that you do and for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for reaching out to me. I'm really happy I connected with you and and we we scheduled it and we made it happen. I'm sorry about the lighting. The classroom is on a sensor. (laughs) No, I love it. (laughs) It's real. That's real. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. All righty. 
Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.